Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hi, and welcome to Near and Queer to My Heart. I am your host, Amanda G. I'm so happy to be here. This episode, we have New Orleans comedian extraordinaire, Clara Kelly. I really enjoyed this conversation because when we recorded this conversation, and I did not tell Clara this, I and my now wife uh, had picked out rings, and I was planning the proposal and what that would look like and what our future would look like. And so weddings and engagements and all these things were on my mind. And I knew Clara had just gotten engaged. So we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, what that means. And and I think through this conversation, it really helped me uh, process a few things and get to the place where I wanted to be. And that's why between recording this and now, not only did I uh, get proposed to, and also did I propose, but we went through and did it. We got married. And when I was editing this, listening back and just, you know, hearing myself having these conversations with Clara, and I hope you all enjoy it too. So let's get to the episode. Let's get to Clara Kelly. Hey, Clara, how is it going today? Hi, man. I'm going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm so proud of myself. I always... Every time a guest comes on, I'm like, I want to say, like, how are you? And I feel like that's such a loaded question post-COVID. So I just asked you how it's going. And I don't know if that's better. I mean, either way, it's just going to be like an eh, generic <laughs> answer. I'm not going to like trauma dump right off the bat. No, no, we wait till 10 minutes in before we... <laughs> you have to ask more pointed questions to get that, that information. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've known you. How long have you been doing stand-up? A little under a year and a half. Yeah, so I've known you that entire time. I might have, what was your first set? Well, so my first set was at Ugly Dog. It was um, oh. like mid-March, but then like a week or two after is when I did my first set at 12 Mile. What was your decision to decide to try stand-up comedy? Like what, I always wonder like what drives us because it's like, it seems insane. You're like, I'm going to write jokes and then I'm going to get up in front of strangers and I'm going to tell them. And a lot of them are like, personal things and why am I compelled to do this yet I can't stop yeah so I um went to go see Tig Notaro live at the Orpheum here in New Orleans uh I haven't gone to see a whole lot of live stand-up just in general but I saw her after listening to like the live album like when she you know broke out and so seeing her it was unlike unlike any stand-up that I'd seen before I was a huge fan of like Don Mulaney and like that stuff on but I never like been to local comedy or anything uh, so something like just sitting there in the audience sort of clicked and I was like, oh, maybe this is, this is, but this might be for me. So I did a bunch of research before going up because uh, I'm a nerd and I was scared. Uh, but like right off the bat, everything will tell you, like, you have to just go and do it. So I did. That's the thing I tell everybody. I'm like, you just, you got to try, you got to try it one time. You got to try karaoke. Mm-hmm. I always recommend to people whether they can I've sing or not. I've never done karaoke. You have to because it's freeing and a whole. Di- it's a whole different type of performance. Yeah, um, sure. and especially if you're not a singer um, or don't think you're a singer or haven't done that before. I think so. I'm just gonna tell you this. This is a tangent, but I I don't even know how to talk about this. But I was I did a show in Bay St. Louis on Saturday, and my girlfriend's family lives near there. So after the show, we went out, and then we took an Uber back to her parents' place, and we get the Uber. We get in this Uber, and we walk in and there's a disco ball inside and the lady has a karaoke setup and she's like, do you want a beer? And I was like, no, she's like, take a beer. And I was like, okay. And then (laughs) she handed us each a microphone and was like, pick a song. Oh my gosh. 
And so we did. And we sang karaoke with this disco ball. There's lights everywhere. And we're just like in an Uber going to past Christiane, Mississippi from Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. It was the weirdest. It was the weirdest experience. That is a very specific type of setup for an Uber driver to have. Yeah, like who wants that in their car? I would be terrified, honestly, if I got into it. Like my partner would hate that. They are so <laughs> against her. I would do karaoke with like the right amount of peer pressure, but I don't know that I would do it in the back of an Uber. Yeah, because it's just us and her. Right. Like part of the appeal of public karaoke is the public part of it. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That seems to be like the worst. I guess like also the thing about stand-up, like as long as it's strangers in the audience, I can generally like, that's fine. If it's people that I know, mm, maybe not. Why is that though? Well, because with strangers, I like, I feel like I care less about what they think. I generally don't have to see them again. There's like a level of anonymity. It's like telling your secrets to like a girl that you just met in the bathroom because you're both hammered. Like that's sort of (laughs) how it is, I feel like. Yeah, because I feel like other people are more fine with the people they know because they know they're rooting for them. They know they're still going to love them at the end of the day or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that's the part that I'm missing. I'm sure they still would, but I don't know. You have to spend time with them after. And, uh. and, yeah, and sometimes they're like, is that true? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. How So Ugly Dog is an interesting place to get your start. Ugly Dog Saloon is like a barbecue joint in New Orleans. It is a room that's like half indoors, half outdoors. And a lot of people are there, at least in the times I've been, and don't even realize that comedy's happening. Oh, so yes. It, it's like an ambush. They are hostages. <laughs> so it seems like an interesting place to, to start out. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, of course. Um, I also don't eat meat. So like having to go to like this barbecue place was just a little bit weird. I was like, this is this is strange. It smells yeah. so much of meat in that place. Yeah, it does for sure. But it was it was a decent it was a decent night. I mean, of course, Ryan is super friendly to like new comics. It's a fairly friendly room. I got it over with, which is the main thing. Obviously, you came back, so uh, you felt yes. good about it. <laughs> I did not enjoy stand up the first couple times. I really enjoyed writing for the stand up set, but the first couple of times, some people say that they're like hooked from the first time. I was not. Uh, I was like, I sort of just like blacked out uh, first couple of times. But you came but then back. eventually, yes, I did. Because I knew I had to give it a couple more tries. And then eventually I did start to enjoy it. Yeah, I, I was one of the people that like the first time I told a joke that got half a laugh. I was like, what is this magic <laughs> that I'm feeling? Oh, so I guess the other thing was like, I always um, was afraid of public speaking, especially like I purposefully put myself through some exposure therapy in high school. But like, in elementary school in speech class, I would be nervous like three days before a speech. Like it was quite bad. So deciding to do like stand up was so outside of the realm of anything that anyone thought that I was ever going to do. So I was always like labeled the shy kid or whatever. I was always the one like I would be like really sarcastic and tell jokes, but it was always very quiet just to like my immediate surroundings, just like the people that I was around. So there was a definite like it was a it was a clash that I wasn't quite prepared for. I was so mad when I realized that I had to go do stand up and like try and open mic. I was like, this. <laughs> I'm so mad that this is what I have. Like, I know I have to go and do it, but I'm so mad about it. <laughs> I was also that kid, which uh, it boggles my mind. But I think it's because I had, I have a lovely mother who was very outspoken, and so I didn't have to do that as a kid. Yes. And Did then, your mom speak for you as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She still does sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember, I remember, I still remember in first grade, I won this like story contest and part mm-hmm. of winning it, you had to tell your story in front of the class. And oh, I was no. like, I don't want it. I don't. I just remember my heart was beating so loud. I could like hear it. Like I was mm-hmm. worried that I was going to die because I could hear my heart beating so loud. Like I was so nervous about any, anytime I talked to more than like two people at the same time, I would mm-hmm. freak out. Or like the popcorn reading or like going down the line where you're reading out of like the history textbook or whatever. I would like, we would go like sentence by sentence. I would count the people and the sentences and find my sentence and just read it over and over and over again uh, instead of listening to anyone. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. by the time they got to me, I would have read it so many times. I would speak so fast to try to get it out of the way that I would stutter. And that would make me hate speaking even more. Oh, no. So it's just like this vicious cycle. <laughs> It's not a good time. Yeah, and then now we're just going up in front of strangers multiple times a week, just yeah, telling jokes and and chit chatting. And, and then part of it too is like chit chatting with people before the shows, after yeah. the shows. And it's so interesting that I love it now. Like I consider myself an extrovert now, and I 
would have never. I'm not quite, I'm not quite to that point. <laughs> but yeah, I do. That was one of the reasons that I did keep coming back is because I realized that like comedians were just like another group of weirdos. I was like, okay, this actually like fits really well, better than because I for a while worked as an accountant and that did not fit at all. Those people oh. are so boring. <laughs> How did you fall into that? And like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, this is probably what we're here for. Yeah. So I grew up in Southeast Iowa, a small town of like eight, nine, 9,000 people. And I really didn't know like anything about who I was. I was just sort of like doing what I was supposed to do. I went to school in Des Moines and I didn't have a major for like, came in undeclared as like, you're supposed to go to college, but I don't know what I want to study because I didn't know that what I wanted was important. So I was just like trying to find something that I could stand. I went on a partial saxophone scholarship, but I knew that I didn't want to be a music major because that's just a recipe for disaster. And then uh, second semester freshman year, I took an accounting class. It was quite easy, but everyone else thought it was hard. So I was like, whatever, I'll just, the professor also recruited me pretty hard. So I was like, whatever, I'll be an accounting major. And then I graduated with a degree in accounting. I didn't know, did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's not something that I, I mean, it's not, it's kind That's of funny. boring, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and then I had to work with accountants and that was rough. The schoolwork was fine, but working with accountants was not a good time at all. I did not last very long. Yeah, I feel like there were not a lot of jokes happening. <laughs> oh gosh, no. I was just like so full of existential angst, like <laughs> depression. It was, it was a bad time. I just had to go really, uh, that was when I was uh, engaged to a man as well. So basically I had to go like really far in the wrong direction. And then eventually I made like a 180. Yeah. And we'll put a pin in that because we are going to come back to that. Is that what got you to New Orleans from Iowa? Or is there like, you're just like, I want to go somewhere where they don't even know the word accounting and you're like New Orleans. This does overlap with the queer stuff. So I um, met my now fiance Carter um, when I was still living in Iowa. And then when the pandemic hit, we moved, like I moved in to their house. And a couple months later, they, like, we knew that this was coming, but they got a job in Michigan. And so we moved out there. We were, like, in the middle of a hayfield. Like, it was the middle of nowhere, which was a great place to be for the pandemic. Um, and that's when I started working at a bakery. And that was great. I had queer coworkers for the first time, which was crazy. I really got along with them. And I was really sad to leave that job because, like, about, I, we knew that we weren't going to stay there for very long. And we were there for maybe eight to ten months. And they got a job in New Orleans. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll go to New Orleans. So now we're here. Because I always wonder how people end up in right. in New Orleans. Like, you know, you're in Iowa. Then you, be something. you go up north to Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, and then somehow you end up down in the south. And I also, you know, I tell people this too, because I grew up in California. I went to school in New York. And I never thought I'd end up in the south. I thought like people were born in the south and they stay in the south. I never thought like people come to the south. But then you're in New Orleans and there's so many transplants and so many people yeah. from so many walks of life. And it's so cool. But I just I did not envision that for my life. Other than like the swamp weather, this is not what I expected from the south. And like maybe some of the food. It's easily my favorite place that I've ever lived. Like. <laughs> Let's see, because I know, and you talk about it on stage, you talk about being engaged to a man on stage, and it seems like that was a very pivotal point in your life. But how you were young, right? Yeah, uh, we started dating when I was a freshman in high school, and then we got engaged when I was a senior in college. Okay, so y'all were together a long time. Yes, we were. And that was just the next step, is that like what everybody was yeah doing? I knew that I like I'd always wanted to get married he certainly was not what I was picturing for my future husband I also never thought that I was going to marry my high school sweetheart I thought people who did that were dumb <laughs> uh so it was a bit of cognitive dissonance when I decided to do that but that like yeah it just seemed like the thing to do honestly the other thing is like divorce runs in my family like everyone's been divorced at least once generally twice so I think I just needed to break off an engagement to get it out of the way like that sounds really <laughs> bad but like I wasn't able to picture the rest of my life because like every individual day with him was fine. It was good. I wasn't attracted to them to him. I never particularly was. Um, but every individual day, like we were friends, it was good. But then when I had that ring on my finger and I was finally able to like sort of picture that every day for the rest of my life, I was like, this can't be this can't be all life is, right? Like, this isn't how I'm supposed to feel. This is the love of my life. Like, what a what a letdown. Yeah, I think too, because like you were in school, you know, when you're in high school, you're not thinking like your future is like college or like that next step. Right. And then you're a senior in college. And then it's like, oh, now I actually have to think about like, uh, where we're gonna live. And if we're gonna have kids and, 
you know, what this like mm-hmm. actual future adult future is going to look like. And yeah, if you can't do that, then it's like, hey, let me think about, <laughs> let me think about this. Yeah. And I think it was the same sort of thing with me being an accountant. It was just like, I was really looking for safety and stability. And I thought that I could just like fit myself into whatever. Turns out I could not. Do you still talk to him or is that like no. burn bridge um, or... We are, I basically, I didn't really reach out to his parents at all afterward. They didn't reach out either, I don't think. That was one of the, I really liked his parents. And so that was part of the reason why I was like, I want to be a part of this. None of, no one in their family gets divorced. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Like I'll see him on Facebook, but yeah, we don't talk at all. I don't talk to most people from Iowa. I, I did a comedy festival in Des Moines. And I met some, I met some cool people there, but I was just there for like three days and it was like a bunch of comics from like, a bunch of different places so mm-hmm. it might have been a, a different um a different look but then when i was driving i did a comedy fest in the midwest and i did like a little tour of the midwest and then when i drove through iowa that time there was a bunch of like farms with silos that said like hillary should die oh and yeah things like that and i was like oh this is aggressive <laughs> <laughs> yep that's my home state, the one that just tried to rescind gay marriage. But y'all were the first ones to have it. Yeah, but it's always been like a quote-unquote swing state, and since Obama was elected, it's it's kept swinging further and further right. Did you ever do a caucus? Yes, I did. Yeah, I uh, maybe I shouldn't admit this because I probably should have caucused for Bernie, but I caucused for Hillary twice. Oh, it's a safe space here. Uh, <laughs> I just I didn't know. I always heard like we always you know uh, Iowa caucus, and then I didn't mm-hmm. know what it was. I didn't know what a caucus was. They make uh, it sound way more fun than it is. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people in a room shouting. Like, how would you describe it? Sort of. Yeah, it's a bunch of people in a room, and then you sort of have to, like, break off into groups, and then they have to count all the people in the groups to see how many are for each delegate, and it takes fucking forever. But you can, like, recruit people, like, to your, like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never, I didn't really talk to people, because that's not really my thing. I'm not going to talk to strangers. I was there. I stood in my spot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was one of the bodies. I don't know. I guess I always thought like voting, you know, you go and you vote. And I didn't understand a caucus was like this. My friend's like, yeah, you go in a room and like this corner is Hillary and this corner is yep. Bernie and this corner is the independent and, mm-hmm. and everybody's trying to get this person over here. And then, and then at yeah, some point there, they like. Yeah, like a threshold <laughs> to meet to like get another like delegate or whatever. Yeah. I was like, that's wild that they, in 2023, we're still, this is still how we're deciding things. I mean, it makes about as much sense as the rest of it. Like. Well, yeah. Which is not much. Yeah, I know. It's like our individual votes. So it's like, do they even count the way we draw? Not really, because it's... Jurisdictions and... Yeah, all the gerrymandering. Like, it's way easier to, like... I don't know. I don't want to speak on this because I'm not enough of an expert, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't have to get all political. I was just, like... Just literally growing up, not in Iowa, like, you hear the word caucus, and Mm -hmm. I just had no idea what it was. And then when I was, like, 35... It sounds like a party. Yeah, someone told me and it like blew my mind. I suppose it's more fun than voting. Yeah, and I'm like, this is how we decide things? Like we just mm-hmm. yell and scream and then take a headcount at the end of the day? I mean, that does seem sort of like what the founding fathers would have envisioned. Isn't that what they were doing? Like, Yeah. <laughs> it's so wild. <laughs> so I know you said that you always wanted to get married. I'm going to ask, and, I, and I've asked this of other guests because... Mm-hmm. For me, like, I do, I believe in marriage. Like, I do believe in marriage and I do want to get married. But, like, the idea of the the government being involved in my shit has always kind of thrown me off a little bit where it's like, I do like the idea of committing to somebody and I want to throw a party and I want my friends to buy me gifts that because I bought them. all kinds of gifts and flown all over the place to go to their wedding. So like, I want to, I want that too. But then the idea of this, like this government piece always, always sticks me And And for other people, it's not a, it's not a thing. Like, I guess like what, like what's your, what you said you always want to be married. Is it just something like you always envisioned for yourself or is it an, an institution? If we're going to use that word that like you believe in, or is it just like the idea, this like idea of being able to, to commit to the person you're with in this like, extra special way or like what does it mean for you I think I always wanted like a partner to do life with like the government part I never really thought about it I guess I know intellectually that we have to like sign a piece of paper and whatever but that and even like I never I don't think I ever really pictured my wedding even per se it was like because a lot of people like oh dream of a wedding and all that I didn't particularly it was more like like I just want my person 
just to be with and know that we're going to just be in this together. You're already in that. So why you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think there's something about the permanence of it that because when we got engaged, there was definitely a mindset change because I hadn't I hadn't really been thinking about the future with like I was going great. Like I enjoy living with them. But um, there was definitely a mindset shift. And it was like, oh, so like this is I know that they are always going to be here and I am always going to be here. Like, this is the constant now. This is a constant variable. So like, if I decide to like, if I need to move for stand-up or something, like that's going to be one of the main factors is like, we're in this together. Okay. So that takes you from the I to like the we. Yeah. Okay. Because I've bought a house with two different exes. So I feel like I'm like, you could just do that. Yeah. And we did, we have bought a house together. And even after that, it wasn't like when we bought the house, this is probably because they're a bit older than me. I wanted to know exactly what was going to happen if we split what I was going to get. I wanted to make sure that I had like a safety net in place, like some security. But now I'm like, okay, we're like in this together forever. Cool. I don't know. Maybe that's some like cishet residual conditioning that I have. And it's, I think it's sort of strange that I would even like want to get like believe so much in marriage given everyone in my family is divorced yeah given what she said earlier is you're like i might yeah. as well get, get the first one out of the way yes <laughs> i don't know maybe it's like it's probably like a bit of naivete as well but i'm like yeah maybe we can do maybe maybe we'll make it yeah no like i said i'm i'm all in for all like i i do and i try and i i do have that like cishet kind of thing of like do i want this because this is what society has told me i want Mm -hmm. and i want to fight against that but i also like want a wedding and i want to propose and i want to be proposed to and i want a honeymoon and i want i'm gonna wear a tux but like i want all the things you know yeah so i think part of what helps is like we didn't do any of the stuff in the traditional like I don't know if I've been able to bring this to 12 mile because it's sort of a longer bit, but our engagement, it was more like, so we were just sitting on the couch watching Married at First Sight. (laughs) Classic (laughs) television. Yeah, it's, uh, I love all those like dumb shows like that. And Carter was sitting there watching it with me, pretending not to like it, but they actually do. And they just go, well, if those idiots can get married, and then that was basically the point where we decided to get engaged, like that was... It wasn't a proposal. We didn't have like rings picked out. We just like sort of realized that, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense for us. Yeah. For people who have been together, already made a commitment and have seen each other more than one time. Yeah, for sure. Like we've already sort of been over. I've been through a lot of changes in my 20s, which is generally what 20s are for. But it seemed like I've been through, I think, more drastic changes than a lot of people as far as I understand it. And they've been there through all of that. And they haven't changed as much because they're like, they're now like 40. So, you know change generally slows down a bit but uh, I felt sort of secure in knowing that they've seen all of those parts of me and that we've made it through all those changes so like I think it really uh, bodes well for the future yeah. that we can handle change together yeah I always think you know it's good to to have when you really know is when you have your like first big fight mm. and you see how you fight essentially like not just and not necessarily how you fight, like just how you communicate, because it comes mm-hmm. out in those moments in like such a raw way. Yeah, we've certainly had those rough moments and we still like have them because it's hard to tell sometimes when the other person is triggered. And like, so sometimes there will be like that uh, disconnect or like those moments where you're like, don't really know what's going on. Like, just why are they being mean? Mm-hmm. But generally, I can always come back to the place where I, I know that I love them and I want to be with them and then everything else can work itself out from there. Are y'all planning a wedding? So we are, I guess, planning an elopement. We're going to New Zealand in February. Ooh. So they did their PhD in Wellington. So they lived there for like six years or something. Guessing that's in New Zealand, but I don't, I'm not good at maps. <laughs> it's somewhere over there. Uh, so one of their friends is getting married and... It's the it's a friend that they'd always said that if they ever got married, they wanted that person to officiate. And so when we were planning this trip, I was like, hey, since we're already going to be over there, you want to just like get married? And so now we're getting married over there. And then it's an easy honeymoon because we're already in New Zealand. Yeah, well, that'll be fun. How's your family feeling about everything? Like, are, well, let me, I'll back up a little bit because this is a and we've kind of answered part of this, but this is the one question that I do ask everybody that comes on this podcast. And it's the coming out question, but I, 
I like to ask it in like a different way because coming out, it's like layers, right? Like you don't yeah. just come out in this one moment like they do on TV and, you know, we have um, music playing behind us and a disco ball and it's all, mm-hmm. and it's all good. You know, it's a, it's coming out in layers is yeah. kind of how I look at it. So I like to ask like, when did you first come out to yourself? When did you come out to like friends and family? And then if it's relevant, which for you, I don't think it is. I think you were pretty much out on stage. But when did you come out, you know, on stage or in your, mm. you know, stage persona? Because for other folks, that that was a journey. But I feel like it, you were always out on stage. Yeah. Had some jokes in there about it. I mean, I look the way I look. So, <laughs> it's, uh, and it tends, I mean, you know, this is, tends to be an easier punchline to like pe- put people at ease because they're like, you see you and you're like, eh, what's going on there? <laughs> Something not normal. Yeah. Well, that's why so many comics, like the, the first thing they, they do is get on stage and acknowledge, and this is what you're supposed to do, acknowledge what they look like. Like mm-hmm. if they're really tall, if they're really short, if they're, you know, have long hair or dreads or whatever it is it's like you just want to acknowledge what people what you think people are seeing because it does mm. make them feel more comfortable and it makes them trust you yeah so to answer your question I uh I first came out to myself I was so I was engaged I I must have been 22 it was probably one of the most boring ways to realize that I was gay so I was surfing on Twitter and I happened to come across this document I feel like you've probably heard of it uh the am I a lesbian master doc mm-hmm. and I started reading that and so my attraction had been just in general suppressed for quite a while. I knew that I was like bisexual, but I'd never really acted on it because I'd been with this guy for what, eight years. But then I started reading through this and some of the signs that weren't attraction related, I mean, some of them that were, but like, it was very relatable, concerningly relatable. So I kept reading, I read the whole thing. It's pretty freaking long. And then I've skimmed, I've skimmed, I have not gone through it, but I oh, yeah, see I did because it was like this was like a moment. For, I think I was in a hotel room um, on a, some business trip for this accounting firm that I was working for, and then I sent it to my friend. I was like, Hey, uh, is it just me or is this like crazy relatable? And she was like, No, I don't relate to it, but I can see how you would relate to it. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> so pretty soon after that, I did uh, break off my engagement and move out. I didn't come out to, I came out to like a couple of friends that were like in the area, but um, I've lived apart from my family since I was 18. I think I came back to live in my hometown after my freshman year of college. And that was the last time that I lived there. And so I didn't come out to any of my family until after I started seeing my now fiance. Cause I don't know, it sort of felt like I didn't really have a reason to. Yeah. So I'm just like, eh, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I always say, because like, I think it is kind of like more of a lesbian stereotype, because I did that. Like, I got a girlfriend, and then I didn't, because for me, it was like, it was so much easier to say, like, I have a girlfriend than for yeah. me to say, like, I'm gay mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, I was 23, and it was still figuring things out. But And you also, like, for me, it was like the safety net. Like, I have this person that, like, if, if everyone in my life decides to abandon me and thinks mm-hmm. I'm going to hell, then I at least already have this, like, support built in. Like, it was kind of like a... A backup plan for like not having anybody in my life kind of thing but I think about that a lot where it's like I wish I could have been strong enough for me to like do it on my own terms mm. but for me that's what gave me the strength was like being with somebody knowing like for sure like this is this is who I am and I, this feels so much different than like anytime I tried to date a dude yes yup so different yeah because you spend like all your teen years it's like I spent hours on the phone and passing notes in school and just talking about this crush and that crush of my friend mm-hmm. we talked about dudes all the fucking time yep. and I would do it because I wanted to have friends and yeah, be it's part like a of social society <laughs> yeah and not be like a weirdo in high like there's enough stuff that makes you weird in high school mm-hmm. so I would just like get on board with with this but I didn't feel it and I didn't understand it and when my friends would go so gaga and they do the craziest shit for these dudes that it seemed like the dudes could care less sometimes and my friend slept in a car one night (laughs) like outside yeah yeah there's a lot of stalking and teenage girls are real good at stalking Mm -hmm. i've done my fair share yeah (laughs) i've never slept outside someone's house though oh god no not that yeah no like one of my friends she bought a car that had like this really cool engine in it that like all the guys wanted to borrow and like race and whatever and she says she did it because she likes cars but like (laughs) Yeah, who knows? But anyway, one of the dudes she had a crush on, he um, definitely crashed her car. Oh, shit. Yeah, and her dad was not happy. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh. Because she wasn't supposed to let anybody drive it because her dad was like, if we're going to get this car. But of course, all the dudes wanted to drive it and mm-hmm. she wanted to hang out with them. And I just didn't understand it. I was like, you have the coolest car in the world. Like, why let this guy drive it? But then I understand. I started dating women. I was like, oh. <laughs> I've let you crash my car. Yeah. I was like, here's the keys. Like, I'll never drive it again. You could just have it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The way that I came out to actually a lot of people was just showing them a picture of my, the person that I was seeing. That was a, that was honestly the easiest way for me to do it. I was like, hey, here's the person that I'm dating. Obviously queer. So you kind of did this. Yeah. We kind of did the same thing. Yeah. I was like, I have a girlfriend. I was like, that's what I would just like, I have something to tell you. I have a girlfriend. I remember mm-hmm. saying that to, to people and not saying like, I am gay. Yeah. Cause once you say I have a girlfriend, the rest is like, oh, <laughs> just a... yeah. And I don't know if it's different because you're younger than me, you know, like, like I came out at, tw- I'm 40 now. I came out at 23. So that would have, I'm not going to, I don't know, 2006 we're looking at. Like, time, like, yeah. Yeah, like Facebook had just really started. That's when, like, Facebook, you could only be on it if you went to school and you used your school email. Like, it was a mm. it was a very different time. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know. Some people now are like, it's it's easier now. And some people are like, it's still, it's harder now because the country is, like, so much more polarized in some ways. But there's also, like, so much more queer visibility now than there was when I was younger. Well, and the thing about growing up in, like, such a small town in Iowa is that there, I did not know any queer women I knew of like one or two gay guys my mom did ballet so that was one and then there was one guy at our school who you know had all the stereotypes going on even he dated a woman but I did not meet a queer woman until I was in college and that's part of what cracked my my gay egg was uh this professor that I got a little bit (laughs) obsessed with I would have totally let her crash my car (laughs) Uh, slept outside her house (laughs) (laughs) yes and that's sort of like, oh, I'm definitely bisexual. And then eventually I had to be like, oh, uh, I'm really not into dudes like at all. Yeah. And, and everyone's coming out is, is different. And it's however you want to do it and whatever makes you feel comfortable. And it's easy for me to now be like, oh, if I went back in time, I'd be like, um, I'm gay. Fuck you. But like, I, I didn't do that because at the mm-hmm. time I wasn't ready. Yeah. I mean, same. I like, I wish I could have gotten that like college experience of being actually gay, but to be fair, I think I learned a lot more in college than I would have because I was in a long distance relationship with this dude. So I like knew that I had a boyfriend, but I didn't have to spend that much time with him, but I could still like brush off all the other guys. When I was in high school, at least in college, I was not out loud, but at least internally like open to the idea of an attraction to another woman. Mm-hmm. But in high school, if I even thought a thought, it would I would fight it. I would be mm. like, no. And so like I had no space in my life for that so I was like I'm just gonna focus on my studies because I wanted to get out of my hometown and my family didn't have money so the way you do that is you get good grades and get out that way and so mm-hmm. I was like oh, I'm just focused on my studies I don't have time for boys but but when I really think back to like moments of like there were attractions and there were these like feelings that I had I repressed the fuck out of them mm-hmm. see I um always thought of them as friendship crushes I always thought that what what I now know is like oh I was actually like into that girl it's just like oh I really want to be her friend I really want to spend time with her yeah you did (laughs) yeah I did and sometimes I was able to a lot of the times I wasn't but I would still like you know you just like look at someone you're like oh your face is just great (laughs) yeah I remember one time I was at my friend's place we were like just sitting on her bed going through a magazine or something and I remember I had this thought of like I really want to kiss her right now and then the next thought was like what the fuck is wrong with you still Mm. think that that's weird and then I just like put it away it was all day I put it away so deep and so buried and then when it came out it was like I was like oh my god it was like one of those flashback moments in in the yeah like oh so many things make sense now yeah they realize that this person's actually like the murderer or whatever you know and then in the movies when it's all pieces together it's like it was Mm, like that like the strings on the on the board yeah conspiracy theory yeah also I don't know about you and maybe obviously your fiance was probably surprised but like most people in my life were not surprised see I don't know if they were surprised since I mostly just came out via text because this is most of my coming out was like beginning of pandemic I didn't really have a chance to be like out and queer because I came out only a couple months before the pandemic hit I don't, they didn't seem like, they were like generally supportive, which is what I was expecting. Like, I don't come from a conservative family. There was never like open homophobia. It's more like the just thing where you just don't see it, the lack of representation. Yeah, but I I do definitely wonder. And like my partner has seen pictures of me in high school 
and they look at them and they're like, you're very clearly gay. And I'm like, I don't know how you, I don't know what you're seeing, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> like, you're, you're not wrong. What made them say that? I, I look at pictures of me and I could tell that I was trying to be girly in a way that like, it was not authentic. Like I can see the awkwardness. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of what they were seeing. Um, just like uncomfortable in my own skin, which I totally was, but I always thought that that was for other reasons. I'll, I'll ask this because this is something my, my dad has uh, fussed at me about where, you know, he's just like, when are you going to stop talking about being gay on stage? It's all you <laughs> talk about. And he's like, I'm not saying you can't talk about it on stage. I'm just saying like, maybe talk about something else. Because mm-hmm. like all of the jokes, whether they're about being queer or not, include generally, not all, but I'd say most, include some piece of queerness to mm-hmm. them. And I think it's part of it is like being in the closet so long and not being able to verbalize that, that now that I do something where I verbalize a lot that like, I want to include that. But part of it is like, I don't control what I I can't just, I can't, the way I write comedy, I can't just be like, I'm going to write a joke about pillows today. Mm -hmm. And then write a joke about pillows. Like I just get a thought in my head and I kind of build on that. And it's like, whatever comes into my head, usually it's like when I'm driving or like doing the dishes or like doing some sort of like other task where my brain kind of like clicks into like just thoughts. And then I take those thoughts and I, and I build them into a set and queerness is generally a part of it. You've heard my stuff. And part of it, I think is, like I said, I think it's important to have that visibility. I think it's an important part of who I am that I couldn't verbalize, but then part of it is like, that's just how the writing kind of happens for me. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that? Do you intentionally include or try to deviate from or? Sometimes I intentionally do like include some queer bits. There was a while where I was like, that was basically my whole set. I feel like that's something that I just had to do. This is the case with a lot of my jokes, but eventually I just get bored of them. And I even had a dream at one point when I had been doing that set for a while where I was I just realized that I was so bored of telling queer jokes. <laughs> I was like, and so like sometimes I'll have like little inclusions of gay stuff. So what I've been doing recently and what I'm going to be bringing tonight to 12 Mile is uh, I finally sort of crack through um, so with all the stuff that's happening with trans people right now, like all the hate that's going around, all the transphobia, all the rights that are being taken away, all the murders and suicides, like it's a super scary time and I'll have to double check with them if it's okay. But my, my fiance is trans. And so for a while, when all that stuff is going down in Florida, I couldn't write about it at all. Like I knew that it was important to talk about, but I just didn't have an angle. I was just like sad. Uh, but when I was in San Diego in June, uh, my uncle, who is just so into Elon Musk, uh, something about that like cracked through and suddenly I was able to write about it. And um, so that's not directly because I'm not trans. As far as I know, I pretty heavily interrogated that because, you know, once you come out as gay, it's like the next thing is gender and you have to be like, am I a woman or am I just weird? Yeah, no, it's definitely a piece you have to like figure out. But yes, as far as I know, I am a woman, but I like it's been really, I'm really like grateful to be able to finally talk about this now and bring it to the stage. And so that's, it's not exactly talking about my queerness, but it's still talking about the community in general. And I feel like I'm saying something more important than like, oh, I'm gay. Look at my hair. Isn't it silly? Yeah, no, I, cause I was trying to write a bit about these, like this bullshit with the libraries. Cause the, the library in St. Tammany parish, they're reviewing 500 different books and they're reviewing like oh. one book a week and they're having a meeting once a week to discuss why this specific book shouldn't be in their library and I was trying to write a bit about it but it just was like this ang- angry like diatribe about how fucked up it is you know yeah it's like fascism 101 like when you start banning books like those are the bad guys like that yeah well I was just like if you have to google how to get to the library so that you can go to the fucking meeting <laughs> to go fight the goddamn book that you don't want your kid to read, even though you don't have never took them to the library. Yeah, you've never been you to the, the library, library card. Life. Yeah, then like what? What are we even doing? But it just sounded angry. Like I, yeah. I wasn't able to like find that funny. So I think there is something there, but like it might take a bit to to get there. Yeah. So you know, I I do understand that that struggle of like I I I do have something to say, mm-hmm. and maybe if it's not even my experience, uh, it might be something. I feel strongly about or I have friends or loved ones that are, you know, dealing with it. And I, and I want to, and I, I want to bring it to the, like, we have a platform yeah, and we are able exactly. to reach people in a cool way. Like I've had people come up to me after this set and tell me about, Oh, my brother came out and this is what our family did. And I'm so glad like you're out here doing this because my, yes. my child is queer and they don't, 
like they're scared to express it and I just mm-hmm. want them to know that they're loved and they have role models like you get a lot of that stuff that's so great and that's why it is important to continue to continue doing it but it's also you know we can use it to to stick up for other folks or to make mm-hmm. points about like how ridiculous like look at especially you know, you're gonna get me on this platform but, like, yeah. especially in Louisiana like shit is like we're like the worst in education and poverty yeah like no one's reading books in the first place you're gonna ban some yeah. of them <laughs> And that's what our legislation's focused on, whereas, like, we have a, an increasing homeless population and people mm-hmm. that can't afford rent and, and uh, food, food and, and, you know, necessities. It's like, let's put our time and effort into that. No, we're not. We're going to do a don't say gay bill or we're going to tell yeah. girls they can't talk about their fucking periods or like what like it's. It boggles my mind at how idiotic it is, but you can't just say that because I sound very condescending. I and I know yeah. that. Um, well, that's what I'm like trying to highlight with my jokes. Like you'll hear them tonight, but it's sort of like highlighting the point that I'm hammering right now and getting at is uh, like the whole trans people are crimes against nature. And I'm like, D- have you met nature? Like it's fucking weird. And so like, what I, I really like jokes that like sort of flip your way of thinking. And so that's sort of like I'm trying to just highlight the ridiculous of ridiculousness of all that. Like none of it is logically consistent. It's all just yeah. like they need someone to hate and this is such a small group that doesn't have enough people to speak up for them. And like if people think that they're going to stop with trans people like absolutely not. Like we're next for sure. Oh yeah. And I, I, everybody is is next. You yeah. know, women aren't safe. I mm-hmm. mean we already know that. Yeah. Uh, minorities of any kind aren't safe. Mm-hmm. Even cis white men like if you're it was the same like even like if you look at history it's like it wasn't even just like white men that were the only people that could vote. It was landowning white men. Yes. Like yeah, there's yeah. always going to be these like extra categorizations that are going to make it like a smaller and smaller pool. Yeah. Of, like it wasn't just know, like Germans. Like you had to have blue eyes, brown, uh, yeah, blonde hair, and have generation. Yeah. Like just get more and more specific. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, we're not going to end this on a sour note, but I understand what you're saying. I'm glad you're able to find something funny and a serious thing because I'm struggling with that and I've struggled with that many a time. Yeah. I mean, this took me months to to get at. Like, trust me, I get it. Yeah. I do think there's, you know, some comedians that do such a great, like I think Margaret Cho always does such a great job of like moving back and forth between the funny and the serious like she'll Mm -hmm. tell a serious joke about like a friend that passed away from hiv and then she'll immediately make make a joke and get you like back in but also like have made her point and and Mm -hmm. have it be something that sticks with you you know yeah and that's like generally my my goal yes like how hannah gadsby says that um like with stories and like laughter is the sugar that sweetens the bitter medicine yeah and hannah gadsby is a great example of that Mm -hmm. And also, like, flipping the script on, like, how we even look at, like, what is a comedy special? Like, mm-hmm. is this a comedy special? Is this stand-up? What does that look like? Like, right. like Hannah has done a really great job of uh, bringing that to the cultural overall conversation. Yeah. I'll ask you this one question. This will be the last one because hopefully this will wrap it all up nicely, yeah. tie it with a bow, and leave it on a positive note, not just me being angry about <laughs> the ridiculousness thing. of the world. Like, what are your goals for comedy? Like, I know you 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 had you were compelled to do it. You were compelled to keep doing it. Now you've been doing it about a year and a half. Like, what what do you hope? Ideal, best case scenario. Like, like if you could decide what you what your comedy career holds. Like, what does that look like for you? So, so far, I haven't really, like, focused on what, like, I'm not going to say that I want a Netflix special or whatever. Like, right now, I'm really focused on, I just want to be funny and then hopefully make people think in a way that they haven't thought about something before. Like, that's really important to me. I guess the best case scenario, it would be cool to, like, work on a cartoon at some point. Those have always been my favorite to watch, just personally. And you can see it in my Instagram and like how like I basically never post videos like I'm not looking to get famous. I'm looking to get good. That's what you should be doing. Everyone should be looking Mm -hmm. to get good first because the other things will come because, you know, you have the skill sets to to back it up. (laughs) Right. Like I'm still very aware that I like, yes, I'm a year and a half into it, but I'm still in comedy years. That's pretty young. Yes. Everyone recording specials. Mm-hmm. so new like that's a fairly recent phenomenon and I try to always keep that in my mind because this is I'm still in the growing pains phase even if my stuff's landing better than other people who've been doing it longer like it doesn't it doesn't mean that I'm still not new 
Yeah. When I first started comedy, my dad, who he was a, a comedy writer, so he could speak mm-hmm. to this a little bit, but he said, you're not going to have a good joke until you're five years in. And he said, not that you won't write a good joke. You're not going to be able to tell it. You're mm-hmm. not going to have the stage prep. Like, it's going to take you five years. And at first I was like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, like I, I'm not going to wait five years. Like, I already get laughs. But when something happens, when you hit that that fifth year, there's like uh, an ease or something that happens on stage that he was right Hmm. he was right and i didn't i didn't record my first special i guess till i was seven years in that seems way more reasonable it was a half hour i was like i can't do an out like it's just that's so much stamina too yeah i had my jokes written out on two different papers on different sides of the stage in case i forgot where i was but i think it's hard too on the professionals that have to do like an hour special every year like, that's hard to have, like, yeah. good, solid material. I don't know that I would ever be willing to do that because I don't know that I would ever – oh, gosh. Like, I watched the – I don't know what she did to prepare for it, but I watched, the like, the newer Ellen special. Mm-hmm. Hated it. It seemed like <laughs> – Does she have, like, a new, new one, or is this, like, the one from a few years ago? One from a few years ago. Okay. Yeah, I hated she... that one, too. <sighs> yeah. Because <laughs> the, first, the first 10 minutes – I was actually just talking with my girlfriend about this because I was – upset about it all over again even though like my girlfriend hadn't seen it and had no idea what I was talking about but it's like that first 10 minutes she just spends like telling you how rich she is yeah none of the jokes were like I know that it's it's impossible for her to get an unbiased audience because everyone knows who she is and it's easy to get a special that like you get a ton of laughs on everything but that doesn't mean that it's funny it just means that you have a bunch of people in the audience on your side yeah I did cry at the end, though, when they did the Q&A. Um, I don't know if you made it that far. Maybe not. Because Laura Dern was in the audience, and Laura Dern played her on the Ellen show when she came out and got canceled, and all that happened. Like, Laura Dern mm. played her partner her partner on the show, and Laura Dern, who was just played her partner on the she said, I didn't get work for three years. And Oprah played her, like, they had a therapist sequence in it um and oprah was on was the therapist and oprah said she never got more hate mail in her entire career than she got from being on the ellen show this was not the stand-up it was like the aftermath of everything and people were asking questions and laura dern was in the audience and it was like such a cool touching thing so i love that Yeah, like that seems like important information (laughs) and like a a really good but that's not yeah so maybe skip skip the rest of the the show just to to watch skip that. Skip the actual stand-up part. In the, yeah. <laughs> right. But even like Amy Schumer's most recent special, which just got released, she had the first mm-hmm. joke she tells is the joke she told 15 years ago. I've never really watched her stuff. I don't watch a lot, honestly. Yeah, I, I was part of my research before I started. I spent six months. All I did was listen to queer and female-identified comedians. Mm. I would listen at work on Spotify. I would watch their specials. I would go to all the local open mics. The mics I saw, like, whoever was performing, but I specifically, I thought, like, females have a, a different voice and queer comics have a different voice yeah. uh, than the straight cis white males do. Um, and I really wanted to, like, to tap into that. So I was I used to listen to Amy Schumer's old stuff, like, before she was, like, famous kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and the fact that she's now super famous and going back and pulling those bits means that she didn't have an hour and they were pushing her to do an hour. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want to get to that place, you know? Like, I want to do right. comedy because like, I wanna love it. Right, like, want to be ready for it. Yeah. want to put out, like, a, a good thing that you're proud of. Yeah. And I was a little disappointed by that. But I kept telling people that, and everyone's like, well, I hadn't heard it before. And I was like, I understand that. Uh, maybe I'm like... I guess that makes sense. Like, no one would else would have heard it, probably, because, like... Yeah. You know, so he hasn't done it. It was this, dive, like, so. audio recording. Because it was this audio recording she released called Cutting. It was from forever ago, and it was. I think it was. She released it before she was on like Last Comic Standing, and and it and she got all big. So like other people hadn't listened to it, but it's on Spotify. You can listen to it now. I I do like at the end of that special, the last joke. She just says, "I'm going to leave you with this," and then she says, "My sister cuts herself," and then she walks off stage. <laughs> and it's so fucked up, but it's so fu- like I don't know. It's so funny to I... me. <laughs> I, there's something about that that I do really like. I thought you would because you like those kind of like awkward moments. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like it's messed up and it's not even like it's not even a punchline, but the fact that it's not a punchline is the punchline. Yeah, like, and then that's how she walks away. Like she just leaves. Yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. I like, feel gutsy too. It, yeah. 
some of her old stuff is super uh, racist and offensive and um, <laughs> gutsy in that way. Um, but she was emulating the dudes at the time that were doing this. And that, you know, at the time that's, she was a New York comic and in New York, it was very much like the Lisa Lampanelli kind of like, oh, you're mm-hmm. this, you're this, like, we're going to make fun of this. Uh, so she's grown a lot from that. I, you know, and I, I think her growings, her last special when she was pregnant was like fantastic. It's just this new one. I just thought she wasn't ready. And I was like, I hope I'm never at a place where comedy is like being forced upon me. Like you have to produce this by this date. Yeah. Well, because if you're not having fun with it, how is the audience supposed to? Yeah. And why am I doing it? (laughs) Yeah. I do it because I love it. Like I know everyone, not everyone, but some people are just like, you know, you run an open mic. That must be terrible every week. And I'm like, I fucking love it. I love comedy so much. I love you do. being there. I love getting up in between. I like introducing people. I like after they get off stage, roasting them a little bit sometimes or just, you know, I, I just love every part of it. And, and t- until I don't love it, then I, when I don't love it, I'll stop doing it. But I absolutely right. love it. Yeah, that has to be good. And I'm excited to... To, I'm excited to see your set tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm excited to go and do it. And yeah. I love, like, there'll, there'll be times when I'm, like, maybe doing too many mics or maybe, like, the material just isn't something I'm, like, passionate about. But I love when I'm genuinely excited to go to an open mic and, te- like, bring the jokes out yeah. that I've been working on. Oh, yeah. Testing a new joke or working on a new joke. Oh, I, I love yeah. every part of it. It's so exciting. Well, thanks so much for doing an episode of Near and Queer to My Heart. Can you just let folks know if you want to? Because I know you just said, like, you don't post a lot on social media. But if you, you know, if folks want to interact with you, let them know where they can find you. Yeah, sometimes I will post about the shows that I'm doing. Uh, my Instagram is Sad House Cats, Spelled exactly like how it sounds. <laughs> Why sad? There's no sad house cats. Well, so I actually created that Instagram handle and Twitter handle long before I started doing comedy. <laughs> it just happened to work. Yeah, I was like, but all the house cats are happy. They're the lucky ones. I don't know. My house cat is on antidepressants. Oh. So. oh. But does he see... She was peeing on the walls. Okay, I was like, but does, does your cat see the outside cats? No. Take your cat for a walk. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should. But then she tries so much harder. I don't know. This is a, this is a constant, not constant. This is a thing with my partner. Because, like, having cats outside, does, it can, like, affect the wildlife and all that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just don't like to argue with them. No, you can't. When it comes to cat lovers, it's, you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, I had to just pick my battles with that one. I was like, she seems okay. Yeah, I'll tell you, as, as someone who's very much a cat lover, there's no, there's no logic. Even if it's a logical argument, I don't want to hear it. I respect that. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Right. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Thank you to our guest, Clara Kelly, for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for our theme music. Social media with us. You can find us on, I guess it's called X now? Formerly Twitter at Queer to My Heart, Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. And if you feel like it, go on Apple Podcasts, throw us a five-star review. Please, please, please. And thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll see you all for the next episode. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.